You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. Berto here. And Berto, what kind of topic do you got for us today? Uh, so today I'm just going to walk through, man, the process of uh, uh, me getting locked up, but really more so to give kind of some insight to to people who don't really know how the process works and, you know, how county jail is and waiting to get sentenced and ultimately go to prison. My case, federal prison, also my case, different than what most people go through um, because I went through uh, the WITSEC section of prison. So it's going to be a little bit different, but the uh, there is a constant and that's the basically the process that everybody goes through upon initially getting indicted. I think it's important to kind of lay out, you know, in Milwaukee, when you get indicted, as crazy as it sounds, when it first happens, there's a lot of hoopla around it. But then after that, it dies down. It's like, there's no information out. It's different than the state. Like state is always like common knowledge. There's always going to be reporters there. And and the feds is just not like that. You can't even have reporters in the courtroom. There can only be like sketch artists. So I say that because that's kind of how housing is in the federal system. Like, you know, they're scared to scattershot. So it's not like they have one place for federal inmates to be. They put some over here in, in, in Waukesha County, some over here in Milwaukee counties, in, in Ozaki County and in Dodge and Jefferson. Um, you know, they have different they have different county jails. And so I think, in my opinion, based on your standing with them, they tend to put you in different places. Obviously, if you're not in good standing with the government or the marshals or prosecutor, you're probably going to be in some place you don't want to be. And if you are in good standing, they try to get you to a better county jail. Um, in my case, I ended up at Waukesha County. That was before I even cooperated. You know, I got lucky. Uh, my brother was there. And so Waukesha was like, you know, a lot of people, I guess, you know, they think of jail. The irony is that when I first got to Waukesha, it was literally like the Andy Griffith show. Like I walked in and my first housing was like bars, you know, like steel bars. And so it's like in your head, right? I mean, I had been in juvie and I did the, I went to Wales and, and did like, you know, time as a juvenile and, and all that. So I was used to the, um, I guess, incarceration aspect of it. But you get into adult, now I'm an adult, you know, I'm 18. And this is my first adult experience in this kind of county jail. I had been to Milwaukee County briefly, but nothing like this. So I see the bars. I mean, they ended up closing that wing of the prison, but at the time it was still open. And so I remember just being indicted, man, like you, you literally, you walk in and, you know, like you come into this place with these bars and you're like, you look around and it's, you know what I mean? It's small. And, and so it's definitely a culture shock from being like juvenile to adult. You maintain your composure, you know, at the end of the day, you're a man. So, you know, like families, I wonder what is their people going through when they go through things like that? It's probably a bunch of what I went through, you know, like everybody's, everybody's a man. You know, you got this sense of bravado and obviously you got pride and, you know, I'm always going to stick up for myself. But anybody that walks into prison that or walks into county jail, sorry, not prison yet, walks to a county jail and it's your first time there and you got a life sentence hanging over your head. To say you're not a little bit intimidated is a lie. You know what I'm saying? It's it, to me, it's a lie. So definitely like you walk in, you don't know what to expect, you know. And, and, and so fortunately, my county jail wasn't a bad experience. Um, I did end up being there for four and a half years. You know, I spent the majority of it at Waukesha County. And then, like I said, one time um, during our stay there, we just kind of got picked up. And I say we, it was like me, my brother and, and, and Benny, which got picked up one night. They came, hey, pack up. 
and they moved us to Kenosha County. Um, it was it was kind of it was an accident; it shouldn't happen. Did they did they tell you why they were moving you? Yeah, or? they don't tell you. Um, obviously, after the fact, you know, at that time I had a rapport with kind of the agents I was working with um, on our indictment, so I kind of asked them like, "Yo, what happened? Like, we shouldn't have left." And, and like I said, we kind of had it made. And I say we because my brother was in the county jail with me. Benny was in the county jail with me. At one time, Toot came to the county jail. Mario came to the county jail. So we were kind of, you know, we were, there was a lot of us. And we were that we'd be able to see each other. And um, at one point, me, my brother, and Benny were on the same unit together. That's when they actually packed us up and, and moved us. But, but yeah, so it kind of just, mat- it's a matter of how the county jail feels. And then obviously how the marshals feel when it comes to housing you, right? And I think that time it was probably just a matter of breaking up the monotony of us being there for so long and being in the same unit. And, you know, they didn't want, I can imagine in their head, you know, we were probably taking over the whole county jail. I don't know. Was it, So you said you were at county jail for four and a half years. Is that normal or was that like a really long time? It, it, it was a really long time, um, relatively speaking, right? But but if you if you look at the 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 sheer amount of our indictment, Right. Like there was 49 of us, all the logistical um, moves like guys that were already in state prison, you know, people all over the, the state to get coordinated to come to court dates and hearings. And, and, you know, so 49 people is a lot to deal with. So four and a half years wasn't really too extraordinary, you know, and then a lot of it is is the weight game to see who's going to go to trial and who's not. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not typical to be there for four and a half years, but can Considering the size of our indictment, I wasn't surprised at all. Gotcha. So, so more or less, when you're in county jail, that's they're getting the trial ready, they're building the case, whatever, whatever, and then you don't really get moved until you get like your official sentence. So, right, right. So, so yeah, and and when you're in the county jail, like that's usually the uh, it's the filling out stage, man. Like it's the it's 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 really understanding where you're at, you know, like. Obviously, like I said, we were fighting the case for, you know, about 18 months. And, you know, when you realize the odds are stacked against you and, and everything you thought to be true about some of the guys that you hung around with was not true. And you start to analyze really your situation, considering um, like for me, my 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 all or nothing was basically life in prison. You know, my all or nothing was if I lose, I'm dying in prison somewhere. And um, I think a lot of the guys that, well, the few guys that didn't cooperate and, you know, kind of went their own way and kept their name, so to speak, they weren't facing any time. Though. So I think the county jail it, it is really a time for people to reflect, man. And it takes it takes a lot of self-evaluation. But, you know, you do time like I did time in a hole in the county, you know, and, and you you're trying to in the county for people that have family that's there. The, the family that's there, man, what they're trying to do is they're trying to 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 keep mm-hmm. some normalcy in their life. Like you don't want to be a caged animal, you know? So a lot of guys that are in prison, man, they are in county jail. They do things to make it, you know, so they're not, you know, at, at, at attention, you know, and, 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 you know, people can say, yo, that's rebellious. And the, the point of correction is to be reformed. And yeah, that's true, man. But, but people also, they still want to feel normal. And so guys do everything in prison, guys gamble, you know, guys, you know, they make drink, they, they smoke, you know, anything they can get away with guys are going to do. I mean, that's just per standard. Um, so um, that's what goes on in county jails. I mean, in the county jail I was at, I was fortunate enough. Like I said, it was a good county jail as far as like being clean. You know, the food was decent. You know, you can order commissary and it wasn't too far from home, you know, because that's ultimately what county jail is. It's you're still kind of connected to the street. You know, the county jail is 
you're, you got access to everybody. You know, they're a phone call away, so to speak. You know, they're right. They're right close. You're in the same vicinity. When you go to prison, that's over, you know, and I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. So so during my time in the county gym and I had a lot of fun things go, you meet a lot of people. I mean, it's you know, it's unfortunate, but you see sometimes you see the same guy four or five times, six times, get out the county jail and come right back. You know, and you see him walk in, you hear him, hey, pack up for release. And then two weeks later, he's back, you know, and, and so go ahead. So when when you OK, so you get arrested, you get taken to county jail. Did you pretty much do they give you your indictment at that point in time right away? So you knew what you were like, what what like like you said, kind of the, what was stacked against you? Or were you sitting there for literally like six months before you even had any clue? No, no. So, so when you get in, you have to go to an arraignment. And the arraignment is where you get informed about the charges that are brought against you. So when I went to my arraignment that day, they came and swooped everybody up. I had the you know, 78 page indictment or whatever it was uh, right when I left court. So I knew all the charges I had. And um, so, um, that, but that's not when I felt like the odds were stacked against me because at that time I actually felt like I had a puncher's chance. You know, because like I said, I was charged with a murder I didn't do. I felt like, you know, one of the attempted murders, obviously I wasn't the shooter, but I didn't know the law. I didn't know that I didn't have to be the shooter. Right. But so this is what's going through my mind at that time is, man, I got a fighting chance here. And uh, so, you know, like that, like I said, we were fighting it. I, and then once I get the discovery, I really felt like and your discovery is basically all the, you know, the uh, the reports from crime scenes and, and everything, witnesses, whatever it is. And so when I got the discovery, I really got confident because I didn't I never got caught with a gun. I never got pointed out like nothing. Right. So I was like, man, I really got a chance here. And then, like I said before, man, you get to the end and there's a little stack of statements and those are all the confidential informants. And so that's when you know, like, all right, at some point, these guys are going to get up there and they're going to they're going to crush me. They're going to testify against me. So with that being said, you know, a lot of people go through that. And I'm assuming you read these confidential informant statements. You know exactly who the informant is, basically, because, you know, and then you also know, well, it, it might not say this in the statement, but I know that person knows this. So this thing could come up as well. Right. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And you know, it is coming up at some point. Right. But and then it's like for me, it was like it wasn't like a confidential informant that I felt like I never was around. Like, ah, yeah, he might have told, but he never seen me do nothing. You know, I could I could probably discredit him. Right. Or my lawyer could obviously. I'm not, but but when it's somebody that, you know, was right there next to you for a lot of the things you did and they can explain in detail, you know, it's not a good sign. You know what I mean? You know, you're not, you're, you're, you know, um, yeah, you know, no eyewitnesses is one thing, but having the person that was with you when he did it standing right next to you, that's another thing, right? So what's more important? And I guess, I guess when it came down to it, man, the decision came down for, for all of us, it was kind of like, man, you know, we don't have a way out. And I think a lot of people, man, because I've been, I was locked up with a lot of guys, man, like a lot of dudes on similar situations, smaller, different black, you know, like North side black gangs. Um, you know, white gangs, uh, uh, like Aryan gangs. And I was locked up with, with all of them. And, and, and at the end of the day, like, yeah, we're different, whatever people, different gangs, different, mm -hmm. subjects, but we're all going through the same thing. So when, when we were in a county jail, like it was almost like past the gangbanging stage. Like nobody was gangbanging. Anymore. Like the kids that were, that's how we looked at them. Even though I was only 18, they were kids because they were still doing, you know, the gang. We were past that. I mean, we're indicted, man. Like we're not in here trying to was there was there times where we had to like, you know, yeah, stand up and be like, yo, what's going on? Yeah, sure. That happens just as a man. 
gang banging aside. But but I say that is is because everybody was in a similar situation, man. Everybody makes a decision. And I think a lot of people always assume, oh man, this person I know they made the stand up the choice, or you know, listen, man, in the feds, we tell you, man, it's rare. It's really, really rare that you're gonna get somebody that has no cooperation, that has nothing, you know, when they're indicted, a lot of people <clears throat> they go down the route. It's really the only route that gives you a chance. And and that's just being honest, man. You know, I, I know a lot of people are gonna criticize me and they're gonna they're gonna be like, Man, what a rat or what a snitch. And, and I deserve that, rightfully so, whatever, because I was in the street. But I can guarantee that that same person, whoever it is, they know somebody who cooperated. If they didn't themselves, they know somebody who cooperated. And I guarantee you, they're not they're not trying to kill that snitch. You know, and that and that person that says that about you, putting your situation yeah. is probably going to be the do the same thing because it's literally a choice between you know your life pretty much being over or having a fighting chance to have a life at some point in time, right? Right. And to veer off, right? Like this is going to veer off from our topic, but we can we can circle back. But but I, I we had an episode where we were talking about cooperation and what goes along with it. And I completely forgot about this aspect, right? And it's it's relevant because it's what we're talking about right now. And that's the fact that a lot of guys, right, even though they say they're not cooperators, right? I'm not a cooperator. You can check my paperwork. I never said nothing about nobody. Them same guys, let me tell you something. There's a game in the federal system, right? And <clears throat> the game in the federal system is really, really simple. It's if you turn people in, you're going to get credit for it. And when I say credit for it, I mean, you can get money for it. You can get uh, cooperation on behalf of somebody for it. And that's what goes on. It's called third party cooperation. All right. So third party cooperation can say, hey, I, I never testified. Let's just say, for instance, I never testified against the Latin Kings. I never testified at a trial. Nothing ever happened with me or anybody or you, whoever it is. Nothing ever happened. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm in prison and I'm a stand up guy. My, my paperwork is, is completely clean. What I can do, unbeknownst to everybody in prison, is I can tell, hey, but call my cousin, hey, listen, I got 10, 15,000. All you got to do is go bring me in a couple of the drug dealers off the street and they're going to let me go. You know, basically, you can have somebody cooperate on your behalf and your name will never be in any paperwork and you get credit for it. So that was my point is there's a lot of them kind of people in the federal prison. People, there's, in the federal prison, man, you're going to run into so many, and even in the county jail going into federal prison, right? Because obviously you run into so many people with a lot of money and you wouldn't believe how many people would be willing to give up anything just to get out. So yeah, there's a lot of that going on. They don't want to be rats, quote unquote, where they tell on somebody specifically, but what is it when you have your cousin do it and you get credit for it? And that happens a lot and you can never prove it. I can never prove it unless I was with you and you told me in my face, you know what I mean? Like that's a conversation between and so. That goes on in the feds, man. Remember what I told you? It's, it holds true to this day. There's three kinds of people in the feds. The ones that told, the ones that wish they told, and the ones that wish they had somebody to tell on. They were the only kinds, man. They were the only kinds up there. So, no, nah, yeah, man, I think, so people understand, like, you know, it's, it, you know, they talk to their family probably when they're in the county jail, and, and for the most part, everybody wants to appear normal. You know, you don't want to bring that shock value, even though you're probably feeling it inside. You know, you don't want to bring that to your family. So you kind of just, hey, you know, you work people along and that's ah, going to be OK. And But they don't really know, man. You know, when you're in a federal case, you're going to do some time. You know, I remember I remember I used to think, man, you know, coming up because you think about prison no matter what. Right. In this life, like you're like, OK, I'm going to end up going to prison at some point. You're like, man, I can you know, imagine, doing, man, you get three or four years. Like you think that's a long time in the feds. You're hoping to get 10. Right. Like you're like, man, I. And I hope I get 10 years, man. You, you never, I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Like people walk around like that all the time because in the feds, everything's by months, right? So you'd be like, 
oh, I hope I get 120 months. You know, that's 10 years. And so I got 230 months. That was my sentence, right? So, um, yeah, you hear that a lot. Like, people are like, man, I wish you get 10 years, man. I do 12, you know. So, and people start doing, I get 85% of that. And and so that's the difference, man. The Fed is a whole different ball game. So so that's kind of how the county jail goes, man. There's not, there's you know, there's a lot of, like, different groups. and But for the most part, like, federal inmates in the, in the county jails, they're not on a lot of BS, so to speak, because they got so much going on, you know. So don't get me wrong, some are. But for the most part, man, dudes are really going through it when it comes to them federal indictments, you know what I mean? So, you know, in my case, you know, we had like a few status hearings. It would be like every six months or, you know, and then you'll start getting guys that plea out and they're getting ready for trial. So these are the things that go on in most people's cases, right? Like you get, there's a period of time where everybody's filling it out, right? Don't get me wrong. A lot of times in almost every case, you got guys that go in and cooperate right away as soon as they get indicted. But then you have guys that fill it out and you're like, damn, I don't know what to do. What all they have against me? And then when they see and they start calculating and they see like, okay, there's really no way out, then they make the decision. And so that process takes a little while. You end up being in the county jail for a little while. And a lot of times if you cooperated, you're the last one to get sentenced. You know, and then once you get sentenced, kind of how it went for me, um, once I got sentenced, it was like two weeks and I went, they they came and got me one morning. They took me to Kenosha County. Now, Kenosha County is kind of like an intake for federal inmates, like in, in Wisconsin, like they get, they put them there and then they go airlift to whatever prison they're going to. Um, it's like you're being designated. I wasn't supposed to go through that process because I cooperated. My situation was different. Obviously, I was going to go into WITSEC. So I was supposed to stay where I was at until I was screened for WITSEC and then go, right? So what happened is there was a little mistake and somebody forgot to stop my, my movement. <laughs> and so I ended up in Kenosha and I was designated for Beaumont. Now, listen, like I said, man. Now, I take it to the street with anybody, right? Like, that was my lifestyle. That's what I did. But when you go to prison and you're one, you're a one-man army and you walk into a prison like Beaumont that's known, it used to be called Bloody Beaumont, it's known for, you know, its brutality. There, there's, no, there's no light way to say it. I would have walked into a USP, essentially, with a target on my back bigger than anybody, right? Ex-Latin King, number one, and then a cooperator, number two. They would have tried to put so many knives in me, it would have been unbelievable. You know, that's just the name of the game. Now, I had to accept that, you know, because I'm wondering, like, damn, are they really sending me to Beaumont? Like, what's going on? You know what I mean? But at the same time, now you start gearing up for it. You're like, man, well, you got to be ready, you know, because you never know. Like, they just drop you in a pod somewhere. You can't do nothing. But anyways, I ended up getting to the county jail, to Kenosha when I got there and understood I was, okay, I'm designated. I could leave on like in like two days. And by a stroke of luck, I ended up uh, talking to somebody on my case, you know, that I was working with and and they go, oh, well, don't listen. You ain't going nowhere. We'll stop the transfer. So I ended up having to stay in Kenosha County, though, for a few months, which was not like Waukesha. It sucked. But also there's another side of that is you're in there in Kenosha County. Like I said, it's a holdover, basically, for federal inmate. It's not a holdover for cooperators. So you're going to run into all kinds of guys, guys that didn't cooperate yet, guys that couldn't cooperate. Like I said, guys that are not really cooperate on, you know, and you can run into a different crowd all the time, you know, guys that hate people that cooperate but for the most part man it's it's different in there you wouldn't believe the atmosphere like it's everybody has this perception that jail guys are all these rough and tough convicts and you know it's do or die it's not like that man everybody wants to go home it's just a matter of how can they come home you run into a lot of like-minded people in there that are thinking about the same thing they're not you know it's once you get to prison is when the politics really come into play because all that other stuff is done there is no more court there is no more this now you're here you live here so, you know, in my case, right, 
in order to get to Woodsec, you have to be qualified. You know, somebody has to sponsor you. You have to have a high risk assessment, meaning that, listen, if you put me somewhere, obviously guys are going to try to tear my limb, limb from me. Once you qualify, you have to you have to pass a lie detector test, which I don't understand why. It's I guess it's for safety. But like I said, man, I went into that lie detector test nervous because I had failed one in the past where I was actually telling the truth, right? So, you know, I'm like, man, is, is this going to, what's going to happen here basically, right? So anyways. I- so I just want to clarify. See, you basically took a lie detector test, which I assumed you had passed. And is this when you were notified that you were going to move to Minnesota? When I was, when I was moving to Minnesota, um, my brother was supposed to come with me, but uh, obviously they couldn't move us together. So I got there first couple, I mean, I wouldn't say a couple weeks, but about a month after I got there, I ended up hearing that my brother um, had a drinking shot where he got in trouble. And and basically I canceled his transfer. So now he couldn't come up to Minnesota. By um, Minnesota, like I said, man, <clears throat> Minnesota was a good place for me. Um, I think it really solidified my direction in which way I was going in life. And it helped me kind of build a foundation for myself. And I say that because when I was with my brother, it was fun. It was great. And obviously I wanted him to come to Minnesota, but I did feel like when I got over there, it was more just focused on me and and kind of building my foundation for myself. And even though I was about six, seven years out, starting to prepare myself for getting out. Um, I think I dealt with a little bit of anxiety, man, when I was with my brother because he was in a situation where he had life. And so the conversations, I couldn't really talk about getting out. I felt like around him because I feel like overwhelmed, but like, you know what I mean? Just sadness about him thinking he's never coming home. And in my mind, in my heart, I had hope. I knew he would eventually get out, but I just didn't know when. And I didn't know how at that point. But so it was hard for me, man. And and then the same thing with my half brother. He's got a life sentence. Um, he's in a little different situation. He's he's in the state. So, you know, and to this day, he's been down, you know, over 30 years. I remember getting to Minnesota, man, and, and I kind of got my own identity as far as what I wanted to do. And, and, and I didn't, I wasn't really hanging out like I was when I was with my brother. And I started to really refocus, like I said, on myself. My wife was my rock, man. She was there for me, especially when I came to Minnesota. She moved to Minnesota for me. I mean, she would be every weekend, never missed a visit, snow, whatever. She was there. And so that was a big part of my core. It was the main part of my, but it also, it made me strive to, to better myself. And so I, like I said, man, I trained dogs there was, there's a few things, man. There's differences in regular prison and where I was at and advantages, disadvantages, whatever you want to call it. I was fortunate enough. I was in a unit where we actually got to train dogs. And so that was a big thing for me. It, uh, it, it really, it, you know, it was like raising a kid, you know, it's like raising a baby. You always got to watch them. You always got to, you know, and so that was a big part of my life for, I did that for about four years, almost five years. And so that was an advantage. I don't know if they have in any other prison. And also the one big thing that everybody talks about, which is not a big deal, is we get a TV in our room, right? In regular prison, you don't get a TV in your room. In WITSEC, you do. Oh, it's this huge, right? But but they got every damn program you can do and, you know, every every early release program you can do and anything to get time off your sentence, they got it available to them. They don't get that in WITSEC. But, but that's neither here nor there. So I think that's that's what my experience was like in, in the prison there, like how I transferred, and, you know, when they came and got me and I got to Minnesota. Just this is probably a really dumb question. I assume you wanted to get to Minnesota because you wanted to be closer to home. So it was easier for people to visit you. Is it was right, that kind right. of the motivation? OK, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's the main that's the main thing. You want to get, you know, close as you can to home. 
I mentioned that First Step Act on one of our episodes. That actually, it doesn't mandate it because you can't technically mandate things with the Federal Bureau of Prison, but it like strongly recommends, right, that within a certain grace period of time that each individual is within, I think, I want to say a 500 mile radius of their home. So they just passed that law in 18 to make that because, I mean, you got guys that were doing time in California that are from New York. Like, how are you going to do that for their family? You know what I mean? And right. so uh, the majority of people in Minnesota where I was at are from Chicago and from, you know, uh, you know, Milwaukee and the Midwest. You know, you get some. Yeah, they're there that maybe got sent there from the East Coast or they're there and they got punished. So they had to leave another prison. You know, that's what happens. Like you get kicked out of certain units. You got to go to another one. So, yeah, it's 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 uh, just thinking about like like that whole lifestyle, like. Like I said, man, you get kicked out of a prison for like drinking, right? Like, let's say you get, you get, first of all, there's only like 60 of these units, right? So it's, I mean, I know dudes that literally been in every one of these units. <laughs> so, um, you know, you get kicked out for, let's just say drinking. Now you got to go to the next unit and then you're over there and if something happens, they can kick you out that unit. Luckily, I never got kicked out of a unit, but I literally know dudes that were bouncing around units, units, unit because they just get in trouble. You get to a point where you get to too much trouble, they'll kick you out the whole Woodsec, right? But you have to be really, really like doing dumb stuff and like really, really like uh, not on the prosecutor's good side. You know, you got to be kind of like it's strange and you're just doing time and you do some dumb stuff. I, I was actually with a, I want to say he was a Mexican mafia. This dude was like five foot nothing. I mean, he got, ta- <laughs> listen, he had tattoos from the top of his forehead all the way down. And he had like a, uh, <laughs> it's, it's messed up to laugh at, but it's funny. He had like a pigmented nose. Like something happened. I think I got to a fight in prison. Somebody bit his nose off. So he had like a pigment in his nose. <laughs> and uh, this little dude, man, like he was a little dude. He had definitely had the, sh- the short man complex. Like he thought he had to be the toughest dude to everybody. I forgot his name, man. They called him. His name was even like representative of him being um, like a basically like he was a hound, right? He was a little chihuahua. And it was the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. Uh, so one time he gets into it. He gets into it. This was I was in Pennsylvania. He gets into it with this Italian dude. And uh, and I don't even know what it was about. Like, everybody's outside. Like, we're just hanging out. This dude, like, walks into the barbershop, the little guy, and grabs a pair of scissors. And, like, let me remind you, man. Like, I was in a unit where, like, dudes will fight. Yeah, guys get into fights. Grown men are going to fight no matter where you're at. Whether you're cooperate or not, you're going to fight, right? That's. But guys ain't in there stabbing each other, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's trying to right. go home. Like, obviously, you <laughs> make the decision to go home. Everybody wants to go home. That's not always the case. Not everybody gets to go home. But that's the goal. But this dude goes into the barbershop, grabs the scissors, and starts, like, chasing this dude around the compound, chasing this dude, and, like, swings at him. I want to say he got him one time on the forearm, but he had a chance to get him. Like, if he really wanted to get him, because the dude tried to, like, jump over, a, a like, a bench, like a bench that was basically into the – it was cemented into the ground. He tried to, like, jump over it because the dude was chasing him, and he ate it, right? So all the, the little pigment and nose dude had – all he had to do was run around, and he could have been on top of him. So I don't think he really wanted to do that. He kind of just wanted to make a statement. Man, they kicked him right out the program, man. He was gone. He was gone <laughs> quick, man. They kicked him right out. But that just goes to show, like, it, it takes something like that in order for them to kick you out. You know, it's not like you get into fights, guys get caught drinking, smoking, tattooing. That's, you know, they're not going to kick you out for that. It's, it's part of it. People bid. That's what they do. So in in this situation where this guy was chasing people, the guy were wrong with the scissors, does everybody else in the uh, just kind of like, sit back like I want nothing to do with this because everybody's just like, I don't, I don't want to get in any trouble. You guys, this is between you. Right. Here's the weird part. Here's the weird part. Right. And this is the, it's like, it's like weird to say, right. But 
everybody just kind of stood still and watched it. Now, if there was a normal prison, everybody would be on the floor or, right. or getting pushed back to the room. But because we're in a unit that's not designed to be monitored like that, there's literally like one cop, you know, one correction officer, and he's not going to go out. And get, he's like, yo, everybody get down. You know, he's it, he's got to wait for backup. So mm-hmm. it was weird. Like the moment stood still. And then it wasn't like they ran in and grabbed him up. You know, he had a chance to put the scissors back and went to his room and then they came and locked him up. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't like, you know, there was some big uh, uh, movement of correction officers running through the door and they tackled them. Nah, man, like it didn't happen like that. It literally was like time was standing still. But just watching this dude in amazement, like, what the hell is he doing? Like (laughs) the first thing everybody's doing is like, dude, you're messing up your whole time. Like for what? Like, I don't even know what you're arguing with the dude about. It was probably something petty. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, yeah, they kicked him right out, man. Who knows what happened to him? And when they kick you out, I assume you just go to like a gen population prison, which. which... <clears throat> well, ideally, right. If you get kicked out of them units, what they try to do is put you into like a dropout yard. Right. So um, essentially they're putting you with people that like sex offenders or like guys that they just don't want to be gang members no more. So they drop out. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're cooperators. So they, they still don't like cooperators in some of them places. But for the most part, it's all dropouts. It's guys that didn't want no trouble no more. They're just trying to do their time. <clears throat> but, you know, it's still prison. And you're back mm-hmm. and you got your normal identity. And you could end up running into somebody that you don't want to. So, uh, yeah, getting kicked out of those programs is, is pretty serious if you need it. And uh, But like I said, a lot of times, man, <clears throat> the prosecutor's not going to allow you to get kicked out if you're – if you're in good terms and you're valuable to them, you know, I've seen dudes that mess up so many times in a row and they still, you know, they still end up in the unit. They don't go nowhere. They just transfer somewhere else. Well, and, and so, you would like to think that these people don't want to see you get killed. So, you know, they're, right. they're going to try and at least protect you. It's not just about, you know, what's right. It's right. also about some your safety. Small way they are responsible. Right. And some, some yeah, they're, they're supposed to be responsible. For, um, yeah. I mean, I don't care what, what kind of person you are. If you know that you send somebody away and then they get killed because you sent them away. I mean, that's right. that's going to ride on you a little bit, I would hope, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and like I said, man, a lot of people, you know, it's like for me, I'll be honest with you. Right, man. Like I think about uh, <clears throat> my whole situation, my whole situation is is complex and it's got all these moving parts. Right. And. I think about everybody that's in those kind of units and transition it to get out. It's hard, man. Like it's hard. Even the ones that get the second program and they get this new identity and all this, it's just hard because you, like me, I spent my whole life around a certain breed of person, a certain type of person, right? Like that's, that's, I hung out with just certain kind of guys and I can't hang out with those guys. anymore. So now it's like even friend, simple, simple, simple as friend making is difficult. Because um, you really don't know how to make friends. How do you find like middle-aged men that you want to hang out with? You know what I mean? And, and you got like nothing in common with them, right? Like you got as far as like background and how you grew up, like it's hard, man. It's a challenge, right? So um, I can imagine for a lot of guys, like for me, luckily I'm a little versatile. You know, like I, I, I you know, like music. I like different kinds of music. So I can kind of like meet people on a different level and be okay. And, but there's a lot of guys, man, are just street dudes and they just can't adjust. And mm-hmm. that's all they ever knew. And they get this new opportunity. And now they're not on good terms with all these people that they used to know. So they're on their own, literally on their own. And it's really, really hard. 
Like it's like for me, like I said, man, I promise you, I thank God every day for it. But my wife is my backbone. Like she literally helped me transition, adjust and catch up to the speed of the world. Because when I got out, man, everything was moving a million miles an hour, you know, and, and it was like I was slow poke grandpa. I didn't know what was going on. And so a lot of people, man, they get out and they have to do these transitions. And it's, it's hard, man. I got a sad story. <clears throat> Somebody that I was with in Allenwood, man, good dude. And um, he I mean, we had so much fun, me, him and my brother. Bro, listen, I'm talking about you want to talk about laughing. Like this was one that we had like a funny group of guys that was prank city. Everything was like, you know, there was nothing off limits, man. And, and so he was like one of my good friends. And he was with us. He was with me almost the whole four years that I was in Allenwood. And so shortly before I got out, unbeknownst to me, because I had left, I went to uh, to Sandstone area. And uh, and so um, this guy, he got out, I think, August of 2020. And I got out in December. And so he got out really smart, dude. He even taught himself Arabic while we were there. Used to be a Mexican mafia member. And so smart guy. You know, he got out, man. And, and he just he couldn't adjust. He couldn't adjust, bro. And um, he got put in a neighborhood where he didn't have rivals, but he didn't have allies. And, you know, like I said, street guys are street guys. And so if you're a cooperator, it's going to be hard for you, you know, if somebody finds out. Anyways, long story short, he ended up having a gun. He gets caught with a gun. Now he's back in the system. He had a little bit of goodwill built up with the prosecutor because he had cooperated before, but it didn't it didn't get him. It didn't get him the results he wanted. And unfortunately for him, he was in California where the street, the, the three strike law applies and he struck out. He had been struck out. That's why he cooperated the first time. He was facing a mandatory life sentence. I don't know why I read the article. He pled out. I don't know why he pled out. Because if you're facing a mandatory life sentence, I don't understand it. But anyways, uh, about a week before his sentencing, man, they found him in a hotel. He, he killed himself, shot himself in the head. Oh, and, sorry. And, uh, um, you know, he just couldn't cope, man. He couldn't he couldn't adjust to the demands of the real world. And it's, 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 it's tough, man. It's, it's a, it's a transition that I think a lot of people, they kind of just assume it's all euphoria, right? Somebody getting out of prison, but there's a lot of nerves that go along with it. And there's a lot of pressure, you know, to be everything you said you were going to be when you were in prison, right? Because in your prison, everybody's just, they're going to be this millionaire. They're going to be this you know, everybody's got these these high aspirations and you put a lot of pressure on yourself, to be honest with you, and you try to set this standard. And so I think when people get out, man, if they don't have immediate success, um, it really takes somebody to be there to nudge them and get them back on track because it's easy to get down on yourself, man. Like um, being a criminal, a successful criminal is really easy. You know what I mean? Like being a successful criminal is really, really, really easy. Just do a bunch of dumb stuff, right? <laughs> so being a successful person, though, that's hard, you know, and then hitting walls and understanding that you have to keep going to get through them is hard for somebody that's never had to do that. You know, when you're a criminal, you kind of take what you want. You know, you you, you put yourself in positions you want to be in and um, you don't have that luxury as a as a, uh, a member of society. You don't have that luxury and, and you're like everybody else. You wait in line. And, and, and so I think I think for families that have people that are coming home that really want to change that are willing to put in the effort. The biggest thing is just be their backbone and help them understand that it's not always going to go easy on that first ride. You know, it's not always going to just come through on that first job. And, you know, those are the things that I think, obviously I didn't have the advantage of people telling me about them because my wife never been in prison or people that I'm around now never, but 
they were the ones I could depend on when it didn't work out to be like, hey, listen, like you're doing everything you can. Keep going. Keep your head up. Keep fighting. Like things are going to start falling into place for you. And I'm still in that in that rut. You know, if I'm going to be honest with you, like I don't have it made, but I know that it's about, you know, a slow nickel is better than a fast dime. man. it's about pressing on and it's about um, longevity. I think what I had to come to grips with, maybe a lot of guys do, too. You're so used to the fast life. You have to get out and understand, hey, listen, real success is not going to happen overnight. Um, sustained success is not going to happen in a year, in two years. Like it's going to take a long time. People that have things, they built it. And so I think that was one of my biggest realities that I had to come to grips with. And and so as people come home and they see the challenges that come along with it, as long as they understand it's a grind and they're willing to fight every day, I think they can make it out of almost any situation. Man. So I'm going to kind of ask you to look inside yourself now and tell me. So so Oscar, right, was his name? He yep. struggled He struggled when, once he got out and he just couldn't do it. Right. Looking at yourself, is it that is it the people that you have that are supporting you that you feel like have gotten you through this or have gotten you through it up to this point? Or do you think there is something within you, some sort of drive that is driving you to keep going and keep pushing at all times? Who do you give well, the credit to, I guess, is my question. Well, listen, I don't want to get into, uh, you know, like uh, too deep. But if I'm being honest, my credit goes to God. Right. Like I'm a believer in God. I believe that first and foremost, everything that I'm doing right now and the, the path that I'm going along and the things that I've overcame. Right. Because that's a that's a statement I heard a long time ago that always stays with me. And it's success is not always what you accomplish. It's what you overcome. And so I give my credit to God first and foremost. I don't think the way I do without coming to know God, because I, that was a big part of my maturity in prison and county jail was understanding God, understanding life in my mind. And that's what helped me move forward. So that's the number one glory, right? Then the, the second one is, is I believe I do have a lot of willpower in me, you know, um, to have the ability to walk a certain way every day of your life, be involved in certain things every day of your life, and then pivot and do a 180 and go a completely different way. Um, it takes willpower no matter what, regardless of what anybody says. And I don't, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that, but it takes some form of willpower. And then, like you said, naturally, my backbone, my support system, my wife, my family, um, they are a driving force, but they're also, they're also a constant. Force. And, and so I always have that. I always have the ability to bounce things off of her and, and my family and, and always have the support there. And so those are my whys in life, right? They always tell you to find a why. Those are my whys. And so I think for every guy that transitions and, and girl, because girls go through that transition, it's going to take that, you know, that number one, what do you believe in? You know, what is your higher way of thinking? It doesn't have to be God. It could be whatever. I think some, every person has that in them, um, regardless of what it is. And then your willpower, right? And then what that's going to be, you know, Oscar was a good friend of mine, but if I'm being honest, he had his own demons. He had drug demons, you know, he had, he had demons which a lot of us do, that once you go to prison, you can bury for a while. You know, alcoholics can bury that disease when they go to prison because it's not readily available. You know, yeah, you can drink once in a while, but you're not going to be drinking every day. You know, drug addicts, they can shelf their drug problem, you know, once they get over the withdrawals because they don't have readily access to it. 
all that changes when you get out, man. You know, all that changes when you get out and everything's there at the tip of your fingers, even more so now than it ever was. You know, I'm in Arizona. Weed's legal out here. You know, <laughs> uh, so so and majority of states. And so, um, you know, if you battle with demons, man, and, and you can't cope when you come home, it's going to be a long ride for you, man. It's going to be a long ride because there's too much available at this point. So um, I don't know, man. I'm with supporting guys that try to get out and 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 transition and make it i'm I'm with that movement and um you know if i if i had a clever idea on how to help that transition go more smoothly for guys that been in situations like me you know i would and so who knows man, maybe i could tell it at some point in life right but that's the way i see it like i, I think guys deserve a second chance and uh, the ones that really want a second chance i believe that with the right you know with the right things in place man it'll make it a little easier to not be such a struggle that's kind of how I feel, man. I don't know if you had any questions. Well, I mean, I, I think I would just add to that that I think a lot of what you touched on is is really um, these are all things that everybody needs to succeed. I mean, not just somebody that's gone through prison time or anything like that, but but and just looking at you, I do see that that, and I think this probably stems back to the reason why you were successful as a Latin king when when you see something, you go for it. You don't. You don't, it doesn't seem like you sit around and, and dwell on it like, oh, that would be really cool to do it. You try to make it happen, which I think is a great personality feature that probably helped you when, when you started out in a gang because they weren't used to seeing somebody come in and just go for it all. And oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I do, I do, I do, uh, I pride myself on that. I mean, you know, I've heard it many times that at the end of your life, the decisions you regret the most are the ones that you didn't make. Exactly. So it's like, for me, man, I came from nothing. I came from the dirt, you know, um, I'm a long way from that now, but with that being said, what's the worst that could happen when you shoot for success? Right. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Right. You know, I, I, I believe in, I believe in, uh, I believe in hard work paying off. I believe in, in all the, the, the basic cliches of life. I believe that they hold true, you know, um, but I do believe there's a little bit of luck involved. And, and there's, uh, yeah, you're certainly right about that. There's luck involved in everything, but the fact that you reach for something creates your luck. You know, if you never reach for it, you're never going to have that luck. So right. it right. kind of comes back. There's a quote that I heard once and I don't even know who said it anymore, but the quote is, is that, um, you, you come on the earth with nothing and you leave the earth with nothing. So take a risk. You got nothing to lose. So, and, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. And who's that? Who's that? I think it was like Denzel Washington ever said that at, at a, at a funeral, you never see a U-Haul on back of the hearse. Like they're, <laughs> they're not taking nothing with them, man. And, uh, yeah. you know, like for me, for you, I'm sure for everybody, man, like you just want what's, you know, you want, you want what's best for your family, your immediate family, and then the people around you, right? Like you want to see people succeed. You don't want to see people hurt. And especially for me, man, like, I don't know, we come from two entirely different worlds, Eric, right? But but I think um, the commonality that we do share is the fact that we both want to succeed. We want our families to be happy and healthy. And, and yeah, time does, I mean, money doesn't buy happiness, but it does buy time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have money, you buy time to be with your family. And that's ultimately what life is about, right? Experience. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I think I think me, man, a lot what drives me is is the fact that you know, I want to be somebody that can be depended on because that's just how my heart is. It's how my, you know what I mean? Like I want my family to be able to depend on me because 
you know, it feels good, you know, and, and that's, that's my, that's my payment in itself, right. To be able to fulfill the fact that somebody's dependent on. And so uh, it's hard though. Don't get me wrong because, you know, it gets, it gets stressful, man. You know, like when you don't got nothing and people are asking you for something, it's like, (laughs) you're in a tough spot, but you want to be that guy to be, be able to be like, man, if you don't have, you know, because I'm not about, I'm, I'm not necessarily about just enabling. Right. Like if I if I have money, I don't want to just enable people in my family because I feel like that's not that's not the way it's intended to be. I'd make my family work for, it. you know, what I'm saying like I'd put together something and give them an opportunity. Hey, listen, you want to work? Here's the opportunity. If don't, what can I do? You know, because everybody that's got their hand out, man, to me, you know, and this is a little bit political and I don't I don't I, this is not that kind of show. But, you know, I'm just not with the people that have their hand out, you know, every time you turn around, you know, like whatever happened to going to work and earning your money, man, you know what I'm saying? So, and I, and that's coming from somebody with nothing who used the government, who was on food stamps. You know what I mean? I know all the tips and tricks, <laughs> all the things of, of, of that kind of, that kind of lifestyle. But I don't believe that's fair, you know, because I'm an adult now and I see like that money comes from somewhere. Guess where it comes from? It comes from you and me, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? For everybody that doesn't want to go do anything and they want to collect, you know, this check from the government and that check from the government, that ain't doing them but coming out of my pocket now. So, yeah, those are the quarrels of being an adult. <laughs> Figure that out, right? So. so I so I think if you don't have anything else with that, we'll wrap this episode up. Sounds good. That sounds good. Ha, do you have a subject for the next episode we're going to do? Um, so I think the ep- next episode, man, you know, we're going to have some fun, man. And I think I think what we'll do is me, you, and Gavin, maybe we'll get an article and we'll break it down. We'll we're gonna... find an article that, that, that maybe Gavin likes and you like. And, uh, you know, something from, from the gang that, that maybe people are curious about and I'll clear up as much as I can and, and talk about as much as I can and, and kind of give you that input. That sounds like a great episode. And I think that's one that we're going to bring, bring back over and over again as we find more episodes. Right. Yeah, correct. That's, that's, so yeah, that's so. for sure. That's you might, a- yeah, you might see that as a running theme in coming episodes. So cool. Yeah. What, All what right. Sent- went wrong, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, we'll wrap this episode up. As always, if you have questions, comments, or anything like that, you can reach out to us at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with another episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.